wonder if I got COVID. Hopefully not. Yeah, I wear my mask. Well, that's good. I saw a lady today wearing like just like little like plastic like gloves like you would wear, I guess, in like like a school kitchen or something. Like working at Subway making sandwiches. Yeah, yeah, some of those. Well, like not like even like latex ones, just like plastic. Yeah, like clear. Yeah. That, yeah, I think that usually at Subway they'd have those the clear plastic ones that. Kind of like the fingers almost look like Mickey Mouse fingers because they're designed to fit like all fingers because they don't stretch at all. Yeah, they weren't like tight at the wrist either, though, which really was strange to me. Kind of, kind of like that condom in the Passions of Carol. Yes, that uh, condom. we'll get to that next week. Yeah, that's a good. <laughs> I was I wrote a note about that, so yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, she also had a sweatshirt on. It had a picture. It had an image of the uh, the manger, and uh, you know Jesus and all that kind of thing. Right. Um, and at the top, it said "True Story." <laughs> um, Excellent. She was nice, though. I found her a laundry basket after I told her we didn't have them. Oh yeah. Yeah, and I, I caught her in the line, and then she really um, appreciated it. So I go the extra mile for. Uh, Christians, I guess. <laughs> Christians and weird plastic gloves. Uh, and, uh, so got a job, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. what's it like having a job? It's terrible. Oh. <laughs> um, the, what am I going to quote? I'm going to quote Morrissey uh, of the Smiths. Um, <clears throat> uh, I was looking for a job, and now I find found a job, and heaven knows I'm miserable now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know. It, it's cool, I guess, to be working again and be a contributing member of society. Yeah. But uh, I don't like having to like go hang out near a dumpster at 7 a.m. That sucks. Yeah, that sucks. Uh, I don't like um, customers. I've never had customers in any job before. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're terrible. Oh, buddy, you have no idea. Yeah. Like, uh, so far, they've been fine, but I can tell things are going to get dark soon. Um, well, one thing that you should realize is there are definitely people who will go to 100 in public with no problem, but there are more people who will go to 100 on the phone with somebody. Oh, yeah. <laughs> when yeah. they don't have to look at them <laughs> in the face. Yeah, I had a... When I worked uh, insurance, I would, like, talk to, like, chiropractors, and they were all, like, insane, coked out uh, meatheads. This one guy gave me, like, three or four names, and I was like, okay, well, let me see if I can find these people and talk to them. No one with any of those names worked at the company. (laughs) And I was like, sir, none of those people are here. And he's like, no, I talked to them earlier, and then I just started to have him do, like, guesswork about... Maybe Martha is like Margaret or something, and he just doesn't <laughs> bother to write this stuff down or remember it. Right. Because he's not actually a doctor. Yeah. Uh, for me, uh, working in customer service for a uh, local internet service provider, mm-hmm. or, well, a national internet service provider locally, people are just fucking crazy. Yeah. Like, so, there are definitely times that doing the job you like come across a situation where the customer was definitely fucked over and you're like man that sucks i'd be pissed off too like you can really empathize with some people but there is a much larger group of people that just call in 
freaking the fuck out about like everything and uh they are not afraid to let you have it let me tell you <laughs> and it's really bad it, it's not so much like having to deal with a customer like that but it's being queued up for back-to-back calls and having sometimes having like multiple of those in a row yeah or <clears throat> um there would be like a beep when a new call started in my ear set yeah and over time, I just learned to dread that beep because I knew every time that beep happened, it was like a total crapshoot of what I was going to get on the other end. Like, there are definitely customers that were totally cool. There were some that were, you know, frustrated, but they weren't total dicks. Yeah, yeah. They were being reasonable. And then there are people that are just like, Perhaps in many cases, like, certifiably crazy. Because, yeah. I mean, we definitely talk to those people. Yeah. You have a mental illness uh, pandemic, epidemic. Oh, yeah. yeah. In this country. Uh, <clears throat> for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, having worked at a psych hospital and now with the general public, everything I learned at the hospital, I'm like, you're manic as hell and you need to uh, take some medication. Right. Um yeah it's yeah. great um so uh welcome everybody to the raincoat report oh yeah this is uh boss here with jeremy forgot we were doing a show <laughs> and uh in fact we are having quite a special show today today is our 25th episode that's right um it's a quarter it's a quarter yeah, that so is it's, it's, it's it's our 25th anniversary because I think every week in 2020 counts as a year. That's fair. So, it's our quarter. Uh, give me the quarterly reports. Okay, the quarterly reports are ready to go. Um, we were doing bad, and then we did good. Then we did bad again. Then we did really good. Then we did bad, and now we're doing kind of good. Great. <laughs> it's, been a, it's been a wild ride. But what's so special about this 25th episode? Well, um, we get to celebrate our love in our 25 episodes together. Oh, yeah. Uh, And also, we get to talk about a film that is considered by many critics to be the greatest adult film ever made. That's true. And if nothing else, it is an awesome film. Uh, And that is the opening of Misty Beethoven. Yes. Um go ahead okay <laughs> i'm delirious i've been up since 4 a.m oh yeah and now i'm getting um inebriated so we'll see how the rest of this one goes well at least we've got like stuff to talk about here kind of sort oh, yeah. of there's some good stuff in here so the opening of misty beethoven is a 1976 release i believe it was produced in 75 directed by radley metzger who is Certainly one of my favorite adult directors. I feel like I've said that about like six or seven directors as we've gone through this podcast, but I do truly mean that every time I say it, uh, for different reasons each time. Radley Metzger, to me, is one of the classier directors of Smut. Yeah. Um, like, his films are definitely dirty. Oh, yeah, for sure. Not Not quite at the highest extremes of uh pornography but like they they go all the ways that you need a adult film to go 
Um, but there's a lot of attention to detail in his films. Uh, cinematography is quite on point. Yeah, it's very excellent. This is the only one of his that I've seen, but it's uh, yeah, it's really well made. Yeah, we'll we'll definitely talk about more films. One of his earlier more softcore films it's kind of like really on the edge between softcore and hardcore yeah is the image uh that was the first one of his films that i saw i actually saw that before i saw uh misty beethoven oh it's a weird uh snm movie uh that's pretty cool i will definitely cover it at some point i think you'll like it a lot i'm sure i will he also after this made uh barbara broadcast Mm mm-hmm which uh, is another one that's got a nice Blu-ray release and uh, is very well staged. Yeah, I'll have to check both of those out. Um, and then, let's see, what else? I- I've seen uh, Naked Came the Stranger. Oh, yeah. It's got a good name. Uh, which was pretty pretty good. Not quite to the heights of uh, Misty Beethoven, but pretty darn good. Well, that one came before this one, right? I believe I, so. Yeah, I think so, because I think he said... Um, and uh, one of the special features of doing that one pretty much allowed him to do Misty Beethoven how he wanted to. Excellent. That sounds right, yeah. Yeah. Sorting it all out. Yeah. So. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy, this is going to be a fun episode. Radley Metzger directed this and many, if not all, of his hardcore films as Henry Paris. Yeah. Uh, So that's fun. In this film, we get to experience some uh, great performances by great lead actors and actresses. Act- Certainly the lead actor and actress. I think they're just all actors now. Okay. It's the BMPC. I think okay. they're all just actors, but we'll do whatever. Actresses. See, that's one of those things where I'm not sure because I feel like... To me, because I'm used to actors and actresses, if I just say actors, I feel like I'm being more exclusionary. But I think that you're right in the sense that it's considered more of a gender neutral. It's all just a big blob now. Uh, So great leading performances by the actors in this film. Thank you. (laughs) Of course, we have uh, the leading lady, Constance Money. Uh, playing the titular Misty Beethoven. Yes. Who is in this film opened. Oh, yeah, she really... <laughs> yeah, that's what that means. She was really opened up in this film. Um, she did some opening herself, though. She really did. We also have the great Jamie Gillis uh, as Dr. Seymour Love, who is excellent in his role. Mm-hmm. One of his more understated roles... Uh, but very... Uh, it's good. He gets to put those uh, Shakespeare chops to some use. Right. He, he gets to have a more nuanced performance in this film than he does in a lot of other films. Right. It's not like in uh, Too Naughty to Say No, where he <laughs> shows up in his uh, snakeskin pants. Yeah. In his uh, convertible and just picking up ladies at the curbside. Yeah. But that was probably more like the real Jamie Gillis, though, I think we've said. Right. <laughs> But by saying that, that means that in that film, he wasn't really acting. And in this film, he is acting. And we yeah, get to see his exactly. acting chops. Yeah, they're, they're great. <laughs> Very nice. Uh, sad, a little sad he didn't kind of like cross over a little bit more into the mainstream. Because I would yeah. like to maybe see him in like some uh, like normal like genre films he'd be good in. Yeah, he is in a zombie film 
that was directed by the guy who did Blood Sucking Freaks. I will IP watch freely? it at some point. Oh. IP Freely, yes. He directed it. Okay. Yeah, we'll have um, Jamie Gillis Zombie Night. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. There's only one movie, but we'll make a night of it. That old boy, Henry Paris, a.k.a. Dom DeLuise, a.k.a. Uh, Radley Metzger. Radley Metzger. Uh, he got his start, they said, um, editing trailers for like some of the French New Wave directors for uh, Janus Films. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so that's pretty cool. So I think, you know, that and they said he had like this uh, series of softcore kind of films before and I think he had a couple like mainstream films early or maybe like in the late 50s or early 60s. Uh, yeah, just as a interjection here. Night of the Zombies is the film that Jamie Gillis is in. Excellent. Directed by Joel M. Reed, the director of Bloodsucking Freaks. Great. Okay. But yeah, I know that a lot of his early work <laughs> uh, was importing foreign releases, and uh, I believe that he had to censor parts of them, and then he would add his own stuff to them as well. Yeah. So... Uh, he started making Franken movies, more or less. That's cool. And then uh, expanded into other stuff. Yeah. Uh, especially the erotic cinema. Yeah. I'm kind of a film buff, so... And it shows, like, in his work, like, as far as, like, his directing and everything. Yeah, he... From what we gathered, uh, researching this with, you know, special features and a little light reading and such, uh, Radley was a bit of a... Uh, difficult director on set he was very hard on his team a uh, little little explosive and perfectionist but uh you know it's one of those things where it all comes out that way you know that awesome way on screen in the end and yeah. perhaps it's worth it yeah it's like stanley kubrick yeah or like uh, alfred hitchcock or like uh william friedkin he fired a gun <laughs> I think to scare somebody and I think they also said they like broke some of that little girl's bones when she was doing like that thing where she's thrashing around in the bed in the exorcist oh yeah yeah so you know sometimes it's worth it if you get it all up there on the screen you know who can say it wasn't yeah that's that's what I called the Tyler Willman philosophy of filmmaking yeah <clears throat> I'm excluding John Landis from that category though as we discussed previously Oh, yeah, because he, he deserves all the, the suffering coming his way. Yeah, he deserves all the scorn. Him and his rapist son. <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot that was a thing, too. Uh, oh, the Landis family. Awful. They should be uh, rejected into space. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, uh, you know, the opening of Misty Beethoven, so... Radley Metzger had had a few softcore hits and moved his way into the hardcore. His early hardcore success was what led him to be able to afford to make the opening of Misty Beethoven as big of a production as it was. He was able to hire... Get hire see, and fire at will. He was able to hire uh, Glickman. What was his first name? Uh, Jiminy. Jiminy Glickman. <laughs> I don't know. It was something boring. A great cinematography. Forgettable name. <laughs> Frederick? Uh, something like that. Anyway, the point was that he was able to hire a very talented cinematographer that 
uh, months after making the opening of Misty Beethoven, apparently won an Oscar for a documentary he had been working on. Yes. So, so he was an Oscar winner in, on working on this film. Indeed. We've got Jerry Goldsmith to do the score. <laughs> <laughs> no, the score's all, I think they said, library music. Yeah, that was surprising to me because, like, when I watched it again, I was that was one of the things that I found so remarkable about it was how awesome the score was. Yeah. Um, and uh, to know that that <laughs> was actually library music really speaks volumes to that music director that they uh, interviewed because, you know. Yeah, great ear for music. Um, Paul Glickman was the cinematographer. Frederick. Paul, Jiminy, one of those. As Robert Rochester in the credits. I had the fake one written down because I was like, I didn't think that, I, I, I forget that a lot of pseudonyms are used in porn sometimes, like for everyone involved. Right. Um, apparently because of the union. Yeah, that makes sense. I love unions, but that's, uh, seems like a drawback. I feel like the actor's union is real, like stringent about what you can do. I feel like a lot of unions are grown out of really great ideas and then they get to a certain point where they become a detriment. Yeah. And it be, and then the the question becomes where they where do they stand on the balance between being useful and being frustrating? Right. Yeah. Um some surpass that ratio and become bad. Sure. Uh some don't. Right. But yeah, unions. That I mean, was that was a very uh, middle before, middle ground explanation. Yeah. Um, when I was in union, it was cool. I liked yeah. it. I liked giving them like $15 a month, and then I would pay nothing for like doctor's visits or like... I paid $40 for back surgery. <laughs> That's pretty great. Yeah. Now, if like I like destroyed my back again, it would probably be like $60,000. Um <laughs> I would just flee the country. <laughs> we have to record this remotely because I'm not paying that. Yeah, that's pretty <laughs> nuts. Uh, no hope of ever paying that. That's insane. Oh, the healthcare system. Oh, yeah. Let's go back to the movie, though. <laughs> <laughs> great stuff. Uh, <laughs> great team working on this. This was actually an international production uh, with... Most of the shooting happening in the U.S. and on sound stages, but there was some external shooting in Paris and Rome that uh, included yes. Jamie Gillis, but he was the only cast member that they brought with them. Yeah, they just used, like, decoy uh, Misties the rest of the time. Yeah, they had uh, doubles for anybody they needed to show the back of their heads. They also, for some... Uh, man-on-the-street segments just hired local people to read lines, basically, outside and all in front of landmarks. Like, I think one standing in front of the Eiffel Tower. But by going out there and doing all that external shooting in Rome and Paris, it gives the film a much bigger look, and it was smart that they just brought one guy and kind of, uh, you know, filled in the rest of things the best they could can't wait to go to Prague with uh, Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be great. You yeah. as Carlo wandering around Prague. Yeah, just uh, looking for that golem. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, you got anything else to say about uh, this film before we uh, open it up? Constance Money is a fun subject. Oh, yeah. Uh, she did not 
have the uh, crazy long career that somebody like Jamie Gillis had in pornography. Uh, in fact, before this role, she had done one porn loop and also uh, Confessions of a Teenage Peanut Butter Freak. Yeah, we talked about that one a couple of weeks ago. Yep. She had a kind of small role, but, you know, it was a... Yeah. Was it one of those lesbian scenes? Yeah, it was her... It was his cousin's lover okay. that uh, Constance Money played. That's one of the better scenes in that film, so... Yeah. Give her credit where credit's due. Um, but she certainly stands out more in this film. Uh, and does a pretty good job. Yeah. This film was shot on uh, mostly 16 or super 16 millimeter film, which was somewhat new at the time, but allowed them to save money by not having to buy the more expensive 35 millimeter film. But super 16 millimeter film looked better than regular 16 millimeter film, meaning that they could maintain a good picture quality without having to pay as much for the film itself. Apparently, when talking about the restoration of the film, uh, this was kind of strangely done because it was uh, all of the 16 millimeter film was blown up to 35 millimeter to to create theatrical prints and put together the final negative. But it was uh, it was done in apparently an odd way where there was a lot of effort that had to be put into uh, making everything match up, but. I don't know. That's just a weird technical thing. Oh, yeah. And while in production, this film was titled Society. Oh, yeah. We did talk about that. It's a great film, but just imagine how much better it would be with the shunting scene. <laughs> <laughs> like when they all get to that party at the end and just everyone melts into a disgusting mass of flesh and limbs. Yes. Uh, I would. <laughs> yes. That That is one thing that this film lacks is a good shunting. Yeah. Um I don't know. They couldn't get, uh, I don't know. Screaming Mad George. Yeah, they couldn't get Screaming Mad George. I don't really even know if anyone was, like, doing effects like that at this time. Like, I can't think of anything. No, not mid- to that level. It was all, like, like earlier. You said blood-sucking freaks and, uh, you know, what else you got? Texas Chainsaw yeah, Massacre. Yeah, Texas Chainsaw Massacre and stuff like that at the time. So, we can forgive them for not having a beautifully rendered uh, flesh orgy. I like to think that Society is a sequel to this film. Okay. I think you might be right. Certainly Society is the most important documentary of the 80s. Yeah. And this is maybe one of the most important document documents of the 70s. Uh, yes. <laughs> Two films united by very tenuous strands. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, well, with that all said, let's go ahead and take a quick break, and we'll be back to talk about the opening of Misty Beethoven. Yep. Open up for me, boss. Uh, yes. All right. Well, uh, 
Welcome back to the Raincoat Report. We're back here to talk about the opening of Misty Beethoven. So, uh, the film opens with shots of a city. Apparently the red light district of Paris, more or less. We've got Jamie Gillis walking through the streets, stalking around, being a creep with all the other French creeps wandering around. Yeah, he's really in his element here, just wandering around the seedy streets with the other perverts. Right. He wanders his way into a theater where there is a live sex show going on. And uh, we've been getting a few cuts along the way to people having sex while he was wandering the streets. And we now know it's uh, these people having live sex in this theater. But not only is Jamie Gillis in here, but this is where he meets our leading lady, who is... uh, Hanging around the theater giving hand jobs, basically. Yeah, and complimenting the uh, performers. Uh, yes. <clears throat> Tremendous. Unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> when propositioned for a hand job, uh, Jamie, uh, in the role of Dr. Seymour Love. I just always call him Jamie. Like in all his notes, he's just Jamie. Yeah. <laughs> we're best buddies now. I've seen him in so many movies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, So yeah, Misty Beethoven, our leading lady, played by Constance Money, approaches Seymour Love, Dr. Seymour Love, Dr. Love. Oh yeah, calling Dr. Love, calling Uh, Dr. Love. Offering a hand job, but uh, Dr. Love negotiates an hour of sex. Well, they call me Dr. Love. Oh yeah, they do. Yeah, go on. Before they can start their sex session, Misty needs to give a hand job to Napoleon first. Yeah. Uh, Napoleon is an older gentleman in the sh- in the theater who uh, shows up dressed as Napoleon and puts his hat on, and uh, Misty Beethoven gives uh, Napoleon a hand job as we watch the couple on stage finish fucking. Yeah, you wouldn't know it was France if Napoleon wasn't there. <laughs> that's a good point. Uh, that's how you establish things like this. Yeah. Uh, so, Dr. Love leaves the theater, but uh, Misty finishes off Napoleon, and uh, the person having sex on stage blows his load as well. Well, I guess one of the two people on the stage. It wasn't just one person. Just up there jacking it. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that there is a place for that. But it wasn't this place. Yeah, there's a place for everything. Yeah. It's your mom's house. Yeah. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) So we see Misty meet Dr. Love outside, uh, and he pays for a private room extra. She says that she only does straight fucking, nothing in the mouth or ass. And uh, if he just wants a hand job, she'll give him back ten bucks. So he starts asking her probing questions that make her uncomfortable. But, you know, he's asking her how much it would take for her to suck a cock. And she says that she'll mop floors before she gives oral for money. While Dr. Love is having this conversation with Misty, he hears a familiar voice and finds Geraldine there. Geraldine is uh, apparently Dr. Love's 
friend. Yeah, so business associate. Yes. So Geraldine's in another room, and she is uh, riding some dude's dong while Dr. Love watches. The guy finally pulls out and comes, and uh, she rides on him a bit while Dr. Love is uh, applauding the show that he got to watch. Everyone's so grateful in this movie. They really are. So Dr. Love introduces Geraldine to Misty Beethoven. Dr. Love asks Misty what she'll take to give both him and Geraldine head. Uh, Misty was upset with this. One thing of note in this scene is that Misty's wearing this shirt that has a Master Charge logo and an American Express logo. Yeah. Uh, which is amusing. Yeah, that's um, those are the forms of payment she'll take. Uh, yes, apparently. <laughs> or cash. Yes. No EBT. Yeah, no visa either. Oh, fuck. Yeah. It's at this point that Dr. Love, or Seymour, his first name, finally reveals his plan. He's discussing with Geraldine that he thinks that he could make Misty Beethoven a hit at Lawrence Lehman's party. He could make her the Goldenrod girl. Yes. Seymour offers Misty a job doing whatever it is that he's trying to do here. He doesn't really describe it very much to her, but she says no. I think he's trying... Is he trying to write a book? Was that his job? I feel like he's an author. They talk about writing just a little bit. Yes, I think you're right. I think you're right. Uh, it's not super clear. The focus isn't so much on his job here as yeah. it is on his whims and... Uh, fancies. Fancies, yes. <laughs> his whims and fancies. That word tickles me. So, because Misty isn't going along with this, Seymour pays her and they and Seymour and Geraldine leave. Misty watches one of her colleagues blowing a guy, and then another creep comes by saying he bought the hour with her. She looks a bit distressed and just takes off and chases down Seymour. Uh, She apparently wants something different out of her life. She tells Seymour that she'll take the job and introduces herself uh, with her name of Misty Beethoven, which she hadn't given him at this point. She she mentions that her former name was Dolores Beethoven. Yeah. To which Jamie just replies, like, of course, or something like right. that. Right. Uh, Seymour says that he hopes that she likes planes, and we cut to them on a plane. Uh, this plane has a lot of services that I haven't seen on an airline before. Yeah, I've been on a plane before, and this has never been offered. But it was a different time in the 70s when, um, this is when they were called stewardesses and not flight attendants. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. One more, uh, grab-ass back then, I imagine. Yeah. So, on the plane, we see a woman blowing a guy. She uh, finishes and dabs her face with a towel. 
uh, and gets up and we realize that she was a stewardess and she just starts wheeling the cart uh, down the aisle further. A woman approaches the stewardess asking if the captain might give her head. The stewardess says maybe she'll check after dinner service. From the plane, we see Seymour in his apartment, I guess, uh, explaining to Misty about the Goldenrod girl at the parties. Oh, yeah. So they're going to go to Lawrence Lehman's party, which is a big society event. Mm. Uh, No shunting, but a big event nonetheless. And uh, the Goldenrod girl is crowned every year at the party. They're usually big society types, um, very fancy and famous people, but Seymour believes that he can turn this prostitute that he found into the big society girl that everybody is talking about. Um, It's at this point that it kind of becomes apparent that this is a uh, riff off of Pygmalion. Yes. Um, George Bernard Shaw, which I'm sure you've all read or seen performed. It's it's been a plot used in many other movies as well. Um, Yeah, I think isn't there like some like a 90s teen comedy that's basically that but i can't is it like she's all that maybe i think that might be it i Um, might be wrong about it if you know out there let us know uh yes so anyhow so yeah uh seymour finishes explaining that the goldenrod girl is usually a jet setter somebody who's a very well-known name but Again, he thinks that he can make Misty this girl. So he is going through this training regimen with her. We see a guy in a suit top jacking off over her. Uh, Just the suit top, completely bottomless, of course. Mm -hmm. We see, like, basically a montage from here. Uh, We see Seymour showing Misty a bunch of dildos and... uh, pushing one into her and having her suck on another one yeah, it's rainbow coated he indicates like a little later that like she got to like a certain color to uh geraldine oh yeah yeah i, heard, I <laughs> didn't quite catch that yeah uh but that makes sense i remember him mentioning her getting to a certain color but i didn't get it but now that makes sense now that i think about that rainbow striped dildo yeah that she was sucking um, on his apartment, we just pause for a moment. His apartment's really cool. I think oh, um, yeah. it's definitely like one of the most uh, probably iconic parts of this movie. Uh, yes, there's this weird wall with a cutout in it that's mm. on the poster for the film and stuff. Yeah, and the rest of it's kind of like a chic sort of like just kind of like 70s cocaine den look. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's very uh, interesting. That's one of the things that makes this film kind of stand out are all of the uh, weird... Uh, design eccentricities around things. Yeah. Um, You know, they obviously didn't have the budget to spend on creating, like, huge sets. But what they did create were very concise but stylish things. Yeah, it's um, it's a little minimalist, I guess. Yeah. In its way. Yeah, much like the choice to shoot in paris and rome and just bring the one person with them um this was one of those smart moves to create 
production value out of a smaller amount of money by focusing on these smaller sets that just have these uh, interesting designs that make things look very uh, fancy. Yes. Um, and the montage is uh, also the music we talked about earlier. Uh, this is one of the better musical cues, or one of the, I think the best musical cues in the film, uh, which is called uh, Going Great by Franco uh, Bonfanti. Oh, yes, Just yes. One of those uh, library guys who got hired by like a studio to record some stuff, but it's really memorable and uh, a lot of fun. Yeah. It's got like kind of like a little, uh, like, uh, <clears throat> like a bossa nova sort of thing going on. Uh, really fun to listen to. I can't, uh, it's not on Spotify, which upsets me, but uh, I'll live. Yeah. Yes. It's a really cool cue. We continue with this montage going on and have like some pauses along the way where we hear them talking. One of the things that happens is uh, he tells Misty to undress and then goes on to wax philosophically about the act of undressing. Yeah. Um, talking about it as an act of seduction. As he's talking about her being able to please men, she says that men stink. And he says that they think that she stinks. <laughs> when talking to her about oral sex, he talks to her about savoring cum as an accomplishment. He also notes that she's going to make three men come at once. Yes. And, uh... To build confidence. Yeah. He talks about erotic impulse. He says that the cardinal rule... Uh, he says, do not forget the cardinal rule. Never let the fact that they are doing it wrong stop you from doing it right. Yeah. Uh, he then attributes this to Hyman Mandel... Uh, noting that he read it on the men's room wall at the New York Athletic Club. Yeah, and he uh, his character has like a cool little habit of just like quoting people that he has no idea about. Right. And just like, it sounds good. <laughs> yeah. We keep cutting to different things. At one point he says that many women stop sucking when orgasm begins, but that's when a real woman just begins to suck. <laughs> it's, a, it's a real commitment. Yeah. <laughs> um, we cut back and forth to some more things, and we stop on Seymour and Geraldine, and they're talking to each other about when they should show her off. Yeah. They want to do it soon, but not too soon. So we then get introduced to Lawrence Lehman, mm -hmm. the person for whom the party is being held that crowns the Goldenrod Girl. Yes. Uh, the ultimate end goal of this. But we get introduced to Lawrence Lehman by watching him getting dressed down, yelled at by Barbara, I believe. Yeah, yes. Barbara, played by Gloria Leonard. Barbara. Blarbla. <laughs> Blarbula. So Lawrence Lehman is getting yelled at by... Barbara, played by Gloria Leonard. Barbara is telling him that he's not so talented and his magazine sucks and keeps going on. He doesn't respond, though, until Barbara says that he had a gray hair. And then he got offended by what she was saying. <laughs> so we then see 
Seymour uh, getting on a plane. And he's talking to a woman on the plane, uh, played by Mary Stewart, who we will see in next week's film as well. Oh, yeah. Seymour is asked if he is in first class, and uh, then if he wants sex or no sex. And then they ask if he wants an adult film or a family film. So, after going through this multiple question series we get to determine that today seymour is in first class sex non-smoking adult film no special meal interested in a little head and a lot of pleasure yeah what film do you think they watched um i would like to think that they watched altar of lust (laughs) oh man that sounds about right yeah um I don't know about you, but I miss the days when people dressed up to fly and to get their balls drained. Uh, yes. Yes. And the the bi- fancy days of yore. Yeah, a bygone age. Yes. Uh, when men were men and flight attendants were stewardesses. <laughs> cool. uh, we see another passenger disputing a bill with uh, a flight attendant. A stewardess, if you will. Yes. <laughs> and I will. <laughs> Um, he notes that he was charged for two blow jobs, but only got one and he didn't get the brandy that he ordered. Um, she goes and talks to her boss, I guess, about it. Um, there's a pilot, um, no, there's like a, there's like a flight attendant captain, I uh, guess. Yeah. <laughs> I was about to ask if the captain was her boss. <laughs> I'm really patronizing towards women today. I'm sorry. <laughs> We see a woman with short blonde hair on the plane sit next to Misty, and she starts going down on Misty. Um, Then a stewardess introduces herself to the lady who was uh, going down on Misty and asks this lady if she has a first-class ticket. She says no, and she is sent back into the other section. And the stewardess says, pilot's wife or no pilot's wife, you've got to go. <laughs> so uh, apparently this was the pilot's wife just trolling around the plane going down on women. In sections that she doesn't belong in. Why is she on the plane just for this express purpose, you probably think? I would imagine. Why wouldn't he put her in first class? I guess uh, those seats are expensive. Yeah. Maybe he gets, like, comped tickets, but only in economy. Oh. They're going to put her in baggage soon. (laughs) Down there with the dogs. (laughs) Mm. Remind me of that (laughs) uh, anecdote in that uh, Jamie Gillis interview Uh where um, I guess he was on a loop with a woman, and then the woman also had sex with a dog. Oh, yeah. And he said it was the same dog that Linda Lovelace had sex with. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, apparently the woman loved the dog, per uh, Jamie's retelling of the tale. Yeah, he he said that she was asked if she liked Jamie or the dog better, and she selected the dog. <laughs> so, yeah, that's a, that's a fun story. Yeah. Only somebody like Jamie Gillis could tell a story like that. It's beautiful in its way. 
Like a snowflake. Uh, yes. So we see them approaching a fancy house in a car. Uh, is this when he makes the, the comment about uh, Italy or uh, the difference between Rome and New York? Yeah. Uh, which is uh, there are more Italians in New York. Yes. There are less <laughs> Italians in Rome. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Same joke. Uh, it was good. That's yes. funny to me. Oh, those Italians. Oh, Italians. Oh, old New York. Yeah, what a time. So, uh, as they're approaching this place, we find out that it's Geraldine's place, and uh, there's a bunch of sex going on. Uh, Maid's blowing a dude on the pool table, and uh, a bunch of other stuff's going on. So, Seymour is then giving Misty instructions about what to do the next night, which we're not given a full, uh, we're not given really a full description of what's going on. We're just kind of learning these details as he's talking to her. Seymour says that he wants her to remain silent and notes that the people, the, and notes that the reason that people have relationship problems is because they talk too much. Uh, we then see Misty in a limo blowing a guy. Uh, at one point, she picks a pube out of her mouth. Yes. At the same time, we see Seymour getting blown as Geraldine's watching. He's saying, uh, he's kind of commenting along the way, oh, she should have been picked up by now. They must be at the opera house now. So. Yeah. He's mentally thinking about what's going on with Misty. Yes. His mind isn't on what's in front of him. Yes, the blowjob that he's receiving. Yeah. Uh, how many incomplete blowjobs do you think Jamie received on this film? Oh, wow. Because they said they did multiple takes, which they said was uh, different for porn. So that means it sounds like if uh, Bradley wasn't getting what he wanted, he would just call cut. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then he would just have to start getting blown again. Yeah. Um, I bet when he blew a load finally, it was of uh, Peter North proportions. It probably was, yeah. He was uh, edging all day. <laughs> <laughs> just like us. Just like us. Fondling ourselves under the table as we podcast. It's delightful. That's why I got into this business. <laughs> So Seymour and Geraldine are talking, and uh, they talk about how the guy that she's out with wants to get off immediately when he wants to get off, but he has problems sustaining the excitement. Seymour's saying, now they should be in the toilet, and we see the dude fucking Misty doggy style uh, while Seymour is still getting blown. Uh, and then finally, Seymour gets off and yells blast off, and uh, so does Misty's date. He uh, comes uh, as we hear the orchestra that was playing at the opera finish their song. Was, uh, that the, was it the old man she was with at the time? Uh, yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Because I think. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. A woman walks in and sees Misty and her date, uh, bottomless, finishing. Oh yeah. Okay, I got. This, I think I got the scenes mixed up. She okay. was like an old guy in a limo, and then when she gets to the opera, she's like with the younger guy. Maybe that might be right. I think that's right. I don't know. There's um, 
it's hazy now. Yeah, you've been up since 4 a.m. It's been almost 12 hours. I mean, I guess that it really isn't that long to have been up. It is when um, I've been getting up. They've been I've been getting up at like 6 a.m. all week. Yeah, it's a nightmare. Yeah, that sucks. It's terrible. I wake uh, up at five most mornings. That sounds awful too. Yeah, that's not as bad as four. I like going to bed at four and waking up at around one or two in the yeah. morning or the afternoon. <laughs> right. Yeah, one and two is not the morning. Yeah. You're mm. all topsy turvy. <laughs> oh, go ahead. At this point for you, two in the afternoon's evening. <laughs> We're talking about a movie. So the woman who walks in on them says that she's never seen anything like that before. Uh, she, she said, if he can't keep it to himself, she should suck him off in a phone booth or something like that. Because well, that's what she used to do. Yeah. We see some people in Rome chattering about Misty Beethoven, these people on the streets standing around monuments. So word about Misty is getting out, that she's a super slut with the society types. There's a lot of astrology talk, too, about what her sign is. Oh, yeah. You know, I think like that's a, just like a 70s thing. I think so. I mean, people, like, I know you're not, like, a, a social media man, but there's just so many astrology memes on uh, Facebook. Oh, yeah? Yeah, just endless. Uh, I mean, I've I've seen a few. Well, I've seen many more than you. <laughs> Probably, yeah. Right, so, it's I think it's an endless thing, but I don't know. I don't know. I just feel like in watching like seventy stuff, I hear the the what's your sign thing a lot. And uh, you're probably right. Uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. Uh, that ended badly. Yeah, it sure did. So don't do astrology, or you'll get gutted by a man in a leather mask. Yes. Of course, as all this gossip is going on, uh, it's getting very exaggerated by the people who are talking about it, as uh, you know, as gossip does. Uh, Lawrence Lehman uh, asks Barbara, "Aquarius take it in the ass, don't they?" And Barbara says, "Of course they do." Yeah. Yes, uh, they do. That was part of that that mix of scenes there. Um, we see outside Geraldine's place, uh, Misty's blowing three guys. Uh, they're bottomless with uh, suit jackets on. And then we see them inside, and she's uh, blowing them, and Seymour's coaching her. Uh, we see more cutaways to people chattering, and somebody says something about her mother being Hungarian or something. Yes. So then we get to hear what Seymour's next plan is in order to get her more notoriety. And that's for her to ball, as he says, an impotent man. Yes. I don't think he's impotent. I don't either. I think that that is probably not the best way to describe it. Yes. <laughs> we see more blowjobs going on in the background as mm -hmm. things are happening. Seymour asks... If uh, Misty and Geraldine can guess who it is that they want her to be with, and they don't say who it is, but it's revealed amongst them, and they're shocked. And uh, Geraldine asks how they'll do it, and Seymour says that he'll have it set up. So we then see Seymour visiting with a woman, 
and he has her spy on Misty's target here, so to speak, uh, and take pictures of him working as a maid, as she's working as a maid. Uh, apparently this is Tanya, who has made 13 films, mostly in Super 8, someone in notes. Okay. <laughs> Seymour coaches Tanya through showing how to seduce a target, so Seymour is touching his dick through his pants, and then he sits down and uh, is getting blown Uh, Tanya is demonstrating step-by-step how to seduce as uh, Misty is watching, basically. And basically, they're trying to take her step-by-step through what she's going to do to her so-called impotent target. We see all of that going on. And so Tanya starts giving oral to Geraldine. And she's talking about how she would lick his cock and suck it, but she's going down on Geraldine, so doing the female equivalent, I guess. Yeah, she's going to suck, like, the insides of a ripe mango. Uh, yeah, that's one of the lines. It gets repeated, biggest because, um, I don't know, I feel like they say it too many times. I've never, I think I've ever eaten a mango. I... I don't know if I've eaten a mango. I've eaten mango-flavored things. I've, oh, yeah. I've eaten things with mangoes in them, I believe, with yeah. real mangoes in them, right. but I don't know that I've eaten a mango on its own. It sounds... It's probably diff- good. It sounds I mean, It sounds good, but it sounds like... I don't know. They're, <laughs> it's like they're, they're liking it to sucking a dick right. in some way. I've never really eaten a fruit, I guess, besides a banana... That would uh, qualify. Right. I don't normally deep throat bananas. I break them up into little bits. Yeah, most people do. Yeah. Not everybody, but most people. No, uh, girls trying to impress guys in movies, they uh, do. Yeah. Or like... That can't be good for your digestion, I feel like. Swallowing a whole banana? Yeah. Monkeys do it. Do they? No. Okay. <laughs> I just made it up. It's a fact. <laughs> so... Tanya then starts to uh, fuck Seymour, and uh, they continue coaching Misty through what she should be doing to this guy. We get some weird prog rock music playing through all this. It's pretty cool. Misty's watching intently and all of that. Uh, Eventually, Seymour pulls out and comes on Tanya's stomach. Uh, He kisses her and rubs her boobs, and they make out a bit. Uh, Then we cut to Seymour talking to Geraldine about how the event happens in a few hours, and Misty comes up to them and says that she can't do it. She says that you can't sell people phony things on the street, and says that she'll... She says that everybody will know that she's a phony, basically. She walks away, and Seymour chases after her. She seems a bit unsure about herself, but... Seymour starts to give her very light praise, telling her that she's even been adequate. Uh, And then he tries to explain to her that this was a big compliment coming from him. (laughs) So we then hear a recorded tape giving her instructions with Seymour talking. 
And then we see Misty in this uh, artist's house. Uh, the artist is played by... Oh, my oh, God. It's, what, what um, my thing? It's John Calvin Culver. John Calvin Culver, who uh, was icon. known for, yes, being a, a gay icon in pornography. Uh, amongst other things, he was in uh, Boys in the Sand. Yeah. The uh, Wakefield Pool early gay porn classic. Mm-hmm. We're going to get to it soon. Uh, yes. Yeah, he's definitely not impotent. Just very, very gay. Right. So that that's the plan, is Misty Beethoven's going to be so good at being her society fucking self that she's going to turn the gay guy straight, at least temporarily. Yeah, at least for one night. Right. As this is going on, Misty's listening to the recording they made while Tanya was seducing Geraldine and then fucking Seymour. That's so good. It's like a sitcom, like... It's like something on Three's Company. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. It's kind of kooky. Yeah, I like it. So as she's listening to it, we also see flashbacks to the previous scene where uh, Tanya was seducing Geraldine and then Seymour. So uh, we can kind of see that Misty's, you know, following along the instructions. She starts to make her move and she slowly kind of approaches him just as Tanya did previously. And they start making out. He then, after they've made out for a little bit, rolls onto the ground and his robe kind of opens up, exposing his nudity underneath. Uh, And Misty says, as it says on the tape, I'm going to suck your cock. And I'm going to lick your cock like the inside of a ripe mango. Uh, So she blows him and we get some like shots painting behind some statues and we see her ass as she's blowing him and some plants and stuff in the foreground. So her butt's kind of just peeking out as it slowly pans around the room. It's a very elaborate uh, shot put together. You know, some of that very well done cinematography. Yeah. Um, like they said there, they did it like a lot of the stuff in, uh, like in that RKO studio. And it had like yeah. a catwalk around the whole thing. For, like, getting, like, good shots and everything. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, definitely, the movie definitely benefits from more of, like, a Hollywood-style, like, production. Right. As a whole. Um, yeah, for in, sure. In the whole. Yes, in the whole. Okay. Yeah, go. they noted that they got, like, a super good rate on this RKO studio because it was apparently in a neighborhood that was now really rough. Yeah. And so people didn't want it, so they were able to rent the whole studio at a reasonable rate and save a bunch of money. Uh, But it worked for what they did, that's for sure. Yes, definitely. So she ends up getting on top of him, riding him cowgirl. He eventually starts to come in her and pulls out and finishes coming. She then plops back on it and rides it some more. Uh, They kiss a bit, and uh, she was successful in her mission. So we hear Seymour in another room complimenting himself on Misty's success. Uh, And then he stops to say that someone else deserves credit too, who was Geraldine. (laughs) There's a whole fuck fest going on at this point, and Seymour tells Misty to go to bed. We then get another scene where Misty's complaining to Geraldine that Seymour's being rude, and Geraldine tells her that 
that's what writing a book is like. So yeah, you're right. He's writing a book. Seymour walks into the room behind Misty where she's not looking. Right. And kind of tags himself in as the person massaging Misty. Masseuse. Uh, yes. The masseuse. The masseuse. But she's not aware that he's the one massaging her and she keeps insulting Seymour. She says one thing is if you look into a woman's left eye, you can see into her cunt. Uh, yes. So I've been trying that on people um, at work, and it really hasn't been paying off. Oh, okay. Yeah. I guess I'm not looking hard enough. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> but eventually she turns around, and uh, it appears that she actually did know she that he was there, and that was probably why she was being as hard as she was on him. Yeah. Um, more montage footage, and she's... Uh, trying to get the three guys off again. You know, the middle one with her mouth and one on each side for each of her hands. Mm-hmm. Uh, trying to get them all three to come at the same time. And uh, she successfully did. Yeah, she in does In this it. montage. Yeah. And uh, there's come everywhere. Yeah. Loads for all the eyes to see. Oh, yeah. Loads as far as the eye can see. There you go. Yes. Uh, Seymour and Geraldine congratulate themselves on her progress once again. The men that Misty made come leave, and uh, she starts to towel herself off, and then she sits down and cries a little bit. Yeah, it doesn't seem like the right time for a breakdown, but I don't know. This is all pretty hard on her, I guess. Uh, So, we then see... I believe it's the maid answers the phone and says, Hello, House of Love. She explains to the person on the other end that they're out at a party where Lawrence Lehman is shooting something. Uh, Some sort of on-set party. So then we see Seymour, Geraldine, and Misty coming up a freight elevator. Seymour says that he and Misty will go to dinner alone after all of this. Uh, Then we get into this place uh, and this party. Lawrence Lehman and Barbara are up on this catwalk that circles the studio. Overlooking everybody and waving. Oh yeah, we talked about that catwalk. Yeah, Uh, because this is in the RKO studio, but it's basically the whole studio opened up and set up to have like a few sets open in the area yeah that's nice like they're shooting or whatever right but they're using the whole studio for the party itself so seymour tells misty that she needs to go right up to lawrence layman uh he's of course up on that catwalk so he walks over and tells one of layman's cronies to tell him that misty beethoven wants him to get his ass down here so we see the dude go tell Layman, and Layman stands up and looks and kind of laughs. He then takes a step off the scaffold uh, and lands on a stack of mattresses, and everybody yeah. applauds. Yeah, he leaps down and does a whole... Yeah. He's yeah. making this big entrance. Yeah. Apparently, this guy uh, wanted to do his own stunt here, specifically. Yeah. They let him do it. And they sure did. I don't really like him as much with his hair combed back. He, uh, he kind of looks like Eric Trump just a little bit. <laughs> and it's uh, when I see that, I can't unsee it, and it bothers me. 
That's understandable. So Lawrence Lehman approaches Misty and grabs her hand and starts to walk her around. He says that he's pleased that she could make it. We see a guy sit down a champagne bucket and some glasses, and Lehman introduces Misty to Barbara. She tells Barbara that, I'm going to get your old man off. Does that bother you? Barbara says, do you think I'll let him make that perilous journey alone? And so Barbara starts to lightly caress Misty, and then they start making out. Misty lays down, and Barbara reaches up uh, into Misty's dress. Layman is watching and sits down his drink and starts to approach uh, and undress. Barbara goes down on Misty. Uh, Misty goes down on Barbara. It's at this point that we're uh, getting some really fuzzy electric guitar rock. Uh, Barbara and Layman make out as Misty continues to go down on Barbara. Uh, and then Misty starts blowing Layman and... Uh, Layman and Barbara continue making out. Um, they cut back and forth to different shots and positions, and then Layman starts to fuck Misty while uh, Barbara licks his ass a bit. Yes. Uh, and then Misty puts on a strap-on harness with a leather-studded cover. Now, unlike the strap-ons that we've seen in most of the episodes so far, mm -hmm. uh, this one is anchored between her legs as well and is therefore positioned in a more uh reasonable crotch area instead of wrapped around the waist yes or, instead uh, of one of those dick belts <laughs> um yeah and it's our first pegging uh yes we get to see our first pegging of the raincoat report here i hope the first of many to come uh this certainly won't be the last um uh, yeah it almost seemed like that was going to happen in confessions of a teenage peanut butter freak but it did not no the america wasn't ready yet yeah, but uh, 1976 was the time, uh, perhaps late 1975, but uh, it happened. So Barbara helps Misty get it on, and then uh, Barbara goes down on Layman, and then uh, Misty lubes up the dildo and starts to lube up Layman's ass as he's fucking Barbara, and then uh, Misty's fucking Layman as he continues to fuck Barbara. Yes. This bar rock song has vocals. Oh, yeah? Yeah, it's a song called Rebel by uh, John Moran, which I think is probably a fake name. Right. But um, I think they tracked it down, and it was, like, written by, like, the guy who ran Columbia Records, which oh, means yeah. that he, like, did, like, his first rock and roll song in the mid in his mid-50s. Oh, yeah, yeah. And apparently he was, like, adamantly against, like, rock and roll music for the most part, too. Right. So, uh, pretty cool. The song's not bad, either. I uh, I dig it. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. So, we see Layman, uh, I believe, finish in Barbara, and him and Barbara make out. Um, we see some fucking around the set of random people who are at this party. Uh, some good lighting here. We see some big shadows on the wall and stuff of people fucking. Uh, Barbara walks up to Seymour and Geraldine, who uh, is blowing Seymour, and congratulates them on a great party. And uh, Layman approaches them afterwards and gives them a look. So from there we cut to Seymour congratulating himself on Misty Beethoven's success. 
Um, did they say that she was the Goldenrod girl at this point? Or I don't think it was announced, but okay. it's uh, it's probably assumed. It's probably apl- implied by the, the exchange of looks between Layman and Seymour earlier. She's a um, Goldenrod girl elect at the moment. Yes. She hasn't quite been inaugurated, inaugurated yet. Yeah. So Seymour's dressed up like Caesar at this point. And as he's congratulating himself, he's insulting Misty, basically calling her dumb and everything else. But Misty is standing there listening. Uh, he doesn't realize she's there at first. He, um, he has a Chuck Trainer, uh, Chuck Trainer level of uh, dating advice, basically. Yeah, he talks about how sometimes you have to beat the shit out of them and make them think you love them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's one of the things he mentioned. Yeah. Um. But uh, then he realizes that she was listening to him, and he gets upset with her that she was listening. Uh, and she starts to leave, and he tells her not to leave. Uh, he tells her that she can have Caesar again. He's dressed up as Caesar, and she tells him, "Why would I want Caesar? I already have Napoleon." And storms off. Uh, you know, again, referencing the old man she was giving a hand job to at the beginning of the film. Seymour is really dejected by the comet. Yes. He was put in his place. So we see more chatter about Misty, you know, cutting to people in uh, Rome and uh, Paris, I believe, as well, talking about Misty Beethoven. Uh, then we cut to Seymour in the theater from the beginning of the film. He's looking around for Misty, but he doesn't see her anywhere. And then we see him in the theater, kind of rubbing his face upset. And then back on a plane, we see a stewardess walking around, asking if anyone wants to fuck a stewardess. Uh, we see a guy putting a cigar up a woman's ass. I believe that was also a stewardess he was putting yeah, the guitar up her ass he or smoked, the cigar up his yeah. ass you say guitar yeah i'm <laughs> i'm barely on this plane right now that's pretty cool he puts that cigar up a stewardess's ass and then the woman sitting next to him asks him why he says that she helps him smuggle things but the woman says well jamaican cigars are legal and then he shushes her yeah good joke Then we see Seymour back at his place watching a film on a projector, uh, talking to Geraldine as one of the maids blow him. The film being projected is of Misty's training earlier in the film. He's reminiscing about Misty, somewhat sullen. He says, I never thought she'd end up with Layman. I wonder how they're getting along. And then we see a woman in a maid outfit walking in, and the camera reveals that it's Misty carrying a drink to Seymour. He's not paying any attention and is just continuing to kind of stare off at the film, and she gets down and starts blowing him without him realizing. Uh, Geraldine notices and kind of smiles over at Misty. Geraldine walks away, telling Seymour to enjoy the movie, and Misty continues blowing him, uh, and Seymour finally realizes. Seymour then starts barking out criticisms about Misty, acting like he doesn't realize she's there. And finally, after uh, enough things out of his mouth about her, she bites his dick. Right off. Right off. <laughs> no, just uh, just a surface bite. Um, 
She repeats back to him his line earlier. You know why people have sexual problems? They talk too much. And they start making out. And Misty gets on top of him and he rolls over on Misty and starts to fuck her. Um, They sit up and start fucking face to face for a bit. And then uh, Misty lays back and Seymour goes down on her, kissing up and up her kissing up her torso and then licking her nipples um then he starts to fuck her missionary and they have a shot of her locking her feet together behind him as he's uh fucking her it's pounding away pounding away uh he finally pulls out and comes and then he pushes back into her and they kiss a bit more um then we get another cutaway of people around paris talking about misty beethoven again uh, they talk about how no one knows where she is, and one of them notes she might be writing a book. We then see Misty, and she's helping train a new girl, repeating a bunch of Seymour's old lines. Again, uh, attributing the line to Hyman, never let the fact that they're doing it wrong stop you from doing it right. Uh, she walks past the woman that she's training. She goes and sits down. And uh, we see, sitting next to the counter table that she sits on, we see Jamie Gillis, uh, Seymour, in a collar and chain. Yeah. He's <laughs> just all... chained up on the floor. Yeah. They said there was an S&M scene that got removed. Uh, yes. So I feel like that's probably just kind of a callback to that, that but uh, it doesn't perhaps, make yes. a ton of sense in the context of the film where you don't get to actually see it. Right, right. But uh, at the end of the day, Misty Beethoven has taken charge. Yeah. She runs uh, Misty's school for uh, wayward harlots. Uh, yes. <laughs> and the world was a wonderful place. Uh, and that, my friends, is the opening of Misty Beethoven. They really opened her right up. They got her wide open. Uh, yes. All right, we're going to take another break, and then we'll be back to give our final thoughts on the opening of Misty Beethoven. Straight up to him. You clean your mess, little boy. Well, you're a messy little boy. <laughs> okay. You ready? Uh, yeah. Let's talk a little bit more about the opening of Misty Beethoven. Before we get to our reviews, I wanted to cover a few more behind-the-scenes type things since we... Had a little bit of research on this one. While shooting in Paris, apparently the weather was super dreary. um, And they found that they could shoot at night pretty well. But during the day, the light was kind of bad. So uh, they ended up delaying production for about a week. uh, Just so they could get good light. The shots that took place on an airplane took place in this uh place that was used for flight attendant training yeah. it was a recreation of an airplane cabin yeah which is pretty cool thing to get i think they said the actual plane was going to cost them like three thousand a day yeah 
which in it's a lot in 1970s money. It's a lot now, but uh, winky binky. <laughs> uh, the woman who played Geraldine in the opening of Misty Beethoven, Jacqueline Boudant, maybe? That's correct. Uh, um, well, I don't know if you pronounced it correctly, but that's her name. Uh, yes. Was only in this film and uh, never seen again. Which is insane because she has a huge like role like in this film as like a supporting character. Yeah, she is, you know, the number three character in the film, basically. Yeah, and she's Dr. Love's number two. Uh, yes. But uh, she was never seen again after this. She just disappeared after the opening, apparently. What do you think happened to her? Uh, I don't know. Well. She probably was like, yeah, I'm done doing porn, and that was it for... She wasn't French. For real. Was she? I don't know. There's not much about her. She doesn't have a Wikipedia page. Yeah. I tried to find out something about her, but there's there's nothing out there. And her IMDb just has Misty Beethoven, and there's a description of her where it just basically says that she was in Misty Beethoven. Well, she, uh, she carried herself admirably. She did her job very well. Oh, it says... Uh, on IMDb that she was an artist from the West Coast who only acted in a single hardcore movie in the mid-70s. It says, despite being friends with star Constance Money, Jacqueline severed, severed all contact with both the cast and crew alike upon returning home in the wake of the movie's premiere. She went on to work as a commercial photographer in the early 80s. Uh, she has since retired and now resides in California, where she's an avid and respected breeder and trainer of show dogs. <laughs> oh, okay. So, if we're to believe what Woody Anders uh, on IMDb said... I'll uh, take his word for it. It's a, it's a good enough story, if nothing else. And uh, it's a fairly happy ending, I guess. Now, do you think by, like, commercial photographer, she was just, like, taking, like, photos at, like, Sears or something? Uh, maybe. <laughs> taking photos of dogs that she would later <laughs> go on to breed? Yes. Oh. Um, there were three cut scenes here. Uh, there was a scene with a matador that Radley ended up reusing in the film Maraschino Cherry. Yeah. Uh, we also had an S&M scene between Constance Money and Jamie Gillis that was uh, repurposed for the film Barbara Broadcast. Um, there's also a scene that wasn't reused anywhere else where Seymour was basically assaulting Misty before the party. Yeah, probably a good thing they cut that out. Yeah, I think the overall thing was that, you know, from, the, from what they were saying in the documentary, it sounded like they just kind of felt that it wasn't really fitting to the character as they wanted to show it off, so they just pulled it out. Yeah. Like, at the moment, it's kind of like a lighthearted comedy, like romantic comedy. Yeah. But including stuff like that, I think would have made it grittier, but not would have been to, like, the detriment of the film. Yeah, so for think, sure. A wise choice. Before its opening, they had a press screening at the Four Seasons with the key cast members. Oh, yeah. Um,. Four Seasons, like, the landscaping company. (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh, boy. You know, that was next to a porno shop, too, which <laughs> yeah. is great. So, I mean, I can tie it all together. Yes, it's it's wonderful stuff. can make a slightly dated reference if I can loop it all back around. <laughs> <laughs> In the documentary, they talked a little bit about this being the first uh, pegging scene in a film, or at least in a, in a major pornographic film. Yes. And there is a lot of uh, smiling, happy talk about uh, representation of pegging in porn films, and that's pretty cool. Yeah. It's a fun time. It's a good time. It's a good old time. So, yeah, that's kind of just some extra little details. Uh, also, in the Jamie Gillis interview, uh, two things that stood out to me of note uh, was that he was mad about uh, the film Boogie Nights, particularly Paul Thomas Anderson's takeoff on his On the Prowl series. Is that like his, like, gonzo porn yeah. stuff? Okay, I've never seen any of that, but that would be fun to maybe watch a little bit of if we could get our mitts on it. Yeah, I'm sure <laughs> we could. Uh, yeah, I've never seen it either, but uh, he got very animated in his interview about how angry he was about yeah, that. Yeah, he was very upset. Yeah. He, he was talking about how the way that Paul Thomas Anderson kind of presented it was that it was kind of this really seedy sad state of affairs where jamie said that that was a fun time in his life and he you know it was a really positive experience for him and all of that and that really uh, upset him uh, another note from his interview that i thought was great was that he talked about hanging out with harry reams yeah i was gonna bring that up if you didn't yeah and uh <laughs> they called themselves was it the slut brothers yeah they were the slut brothers uh, that sounds wonderful. I can't imagine what sort of night of debauchery <laughs> Jamie Gillis and Harry Reams got into. Oh, they, uh, like, I can't imagine that night, any of those nights. Neither of them are alive to tell the tale. That's unfortunate. Neither. Yeah, we need a, I need a, a history of the Slut Brothers and their, uh, their conquests. Yeah, we that need to... That would be definitely in the book of the Book of the Teacher. Yes, for like, sure. It's obviously, it's divided into books like the Bible. Right. Um, but the Slut Brothers 1 and 2. Yeah. I think you The Gospels taken... of the Slut Brothers. <laughs> yeah. And it's just a, just a wonderful world when you think about it that way. It's a, it's a real wonderful life. No. No. Okay. It's a wonderful world. All right. Well, with all of that in mind, let's go ahead and move on to our final reviews of the film. So to kick things off, uh, as we normally do on this fine show, uh, I'm going to turn things over to Jeremy to give us his thoughts on the opening of Misty Beethoven. Jeremy, go for it. Thank you. Um, <laughs> thank you. Um, great film. Obviously, we've been gushing about it um, the whole time. This is... Uh, Probably the movie that got me, um, I guess, into adult films in general. Mm -hmm. um, back when Wild and Wooly was open, I rented it from there when they'd released like the Blu-ray or whatever back in 2012. And from that moment on, you could find me in that little back room digging through the uh, porno tapes, seeing what was what. So it's an important film for me in that regard, I guess. Even though I completely forgot Jamie Gillis was in it, but <laughs> I think I saw it like eight years ago and didn't know who he was at the time. So, you know, yeah. that kind of thing happens. Uh, we've developed an easy familiarity now. Right. Well, that's because we're professionals. Yeah. Unpaid professionals. Well, you know, semi-pros, as they call us. 
out on the prairie where we roam. It's <laughs> <laughs> like this review, it's wandered off the tracks. But no, I think uh, I saw it was referred to as the crown jewel of like the golden age. And uh, not to just steal someone else's opinion, but uh, I think that's pretty true. Um, Do you know whose uh, opinion you're stealing there? No, I don't care, because it's also my opinion. You can share an opinion. That's how racism works. Uh, Yes. But no, like everything about the movie, uh, as we said, is pretty outstanding from uh, cinematography by uh, the Glickman. Man, his first name is bad. What is it? Is Uh, it Joe? Is he just Joe? No, it is... John? Paul. Paul, whatever. Forgettable name. Sorry, Pauls. Uh, Cinematography is great. Um, Music direction is great. Just digging up all those classic library music hits, which I'm into library music. I'll listen to, like, that kind of stuff just, like, in my free time sometimes because it's uh, it's fun. A lot of it's, like, pretty funky. Yeah. So I saw some familiar names on, like, the music, uh, like, when I looked up the soundtrack. So that was cool. Uh, Acting, top-notch. Jamie Gillis actually gets to, like, really, like, show off what he's capable of. Yeah. Even better than his uh, Dracula, I would say. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That part was just not written well. Well, actually it was, because it was just the 30s Dracula. Right. uh, Not really constructed well. Yes. Yeah, there you go. Unlike this film, acting's great. Constance Money, very good. Certainly Bradley Metzger's... uh, tyrannical uh, directorial style benefited the film and i'm glad to know there's kind of a stanley kubrick of porn uh, <laughs> if you'd like to call him that i'm sure he he might be honored by that yeah yeah but maybe not like when you like tell him why <laughs> <laughs> um just all around a great film you know it's uh like i said it's kind of like a light-hearted romantic comedy it's cute in kind of the same way some of Deep Throat was. Yeah. So I can see why I had like the mainstream appeal. You know, uh, when we talked about Night of Victorians and they said you should take your grandma to see it, and I kind of disagreed with that. Yeah. Um, here, you know, I could make that recommendation. <laughs> Maybe show them the softcore cut, but all the same, great movie. Uh, something for everybody. Mm-hmm. Just one for the film buffs, the uh, film boys. I'm giving it. Five stars. Excellent. I agree. Um, End of review. <laughs> no, it's a it's a great film. It's using a narrative that's been used a lot in a lot of different uh, narrative formats, whether it's in writing or plays or um, movies and TV shows for sure. Um, but there's a reason that it's a classic in the sense that it's just a, it's just a good starting point for a film. And this definitely takes it in a completely different direction than any of those other films, of course. It's a very good-looking film. Uh, we've said it a bunch, but the cinematography is excellent. The music is excellent. The different uh, library music is a lot of fun. I had the song i think it's called the fuzz uh yes a very fuzzy guitar song is mm-hmm. stuck in my head for the past like two weeks that's pretty cool it's pretty cool uh if i was gonna get something stuck in my head that's that's a good one i've definitely got the little the the montage bit 
stuck in my head, the Bossa yeah. Nova one. Yeah, it's yeah. It's been in and out. I'm gonna learn. I'll probably learn the lyrics to the Rebel pretty soon, and then um, I'll know that one as well. Excellent. I'm disappointed the soundtrack to this isn't on Spotify the way the Deep Throat one was because yeah. I listened to that one a lot. Yeah, yeah. And I would do the same. I'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna get a job at like a, uh, a boutique record label just reassembling pornography soundtracks. <laughs> that sounds excellent. Yeah. Um, we always talk about vinegar syndrome but if you're hiring you need some guy to figure out where the music comes from let me know <laughs> I'll, excellent uh, i'll do what i can great job thanks there's my resume in addition to being a great film um you know it's very well recognized for its time uh, as jeremy noted it was called the crown jewel of the golden age of pornography uh, even people like uh, Roger Ebert were giving it good reviews. You don't like Roger Ebert. Yeah. I guess I'll agree with him about this one. Yeah, it's... And he wrote Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. Yeah. You gotta hand it to Roger Ebert. Sometimes. Yeah. You have sometimes. to hand it to him in small doses. Yeah, just a little pinch. <laughs> just a little pinch for Roger Ebert. <laughs> it... Won at the Adult Film Association of America Awards. It won Best Picture, Best Director for Radley Metzger as Henry Paris, Best Actor for Jamie Gillis, Best Screenplay for Radley Metzger as Jake Barnes, and uh, Best Editing for Bonnie Karen, who apparently edited it. So good for her. It had plenty of accolades, and there's yes. a good reason for it. It's a great yeah. film. It well, really is uh, one of the great films of the porno chic era for sure and uh if somebody were to make the argument that it is the greatest adult film ever made i wouldn't have a good argument against it um there probably are other films that you could argue are better than this film but i wouldn't say that there are any films that are like way better than this film yeah um... uh, at least from what i've seen which has been a lot <laughs> could have used an enema scene it could have used an enema scene like pretty peaches uh it could have used more pegging maybe yeah more pegging just an endless pegging attack yeah an assault on the senses uh and for the lack of continued pegging i'm gonna give this two stars oh fuck no uh <laughs> this is for me as well a five-star film so the opening of misty beethoven um it was restored in 2012 by Distribpix uh, and released on DVD and Blu-ray. Uh, the Blu-ray includes both the hardcore version and a softcore version. Uh, it has a bunch of featurettes, including uh, some things we noted. There was a behind-the-scenes featurette that was like 45 minutes long about the history of the film. Uh, there was an interview with Jamie Gillis, some... More uh, fluffy remembering segments about uh, Constance Money and Jamie Gillis. Um, and also a featurette about how the film was restored, which is pretty cool. Uh, it includes an appearance by Joe Rubin, who runs Vinegar Syndrome. So that was cool. Uh, but it also shows how the films are scanned and everything. It's pretty awesome. So, uh, good release. Check it out. I mean, if you are going to check out one adult film ever this is probably the one to do i'd agree with that assessment 
and once you're done, you'll probably want to check out some more. So Yeah, it's a rabbit hole. It's a real hole to wrap it down into. It's a real hole we've dug ourselves. Yes. We're digging all the way to China. Yes. Meeting adjourned. Uh, yes, so that's the opening of Misty Beethoven. As always, I want to remind everybody to follow us on social media, on Instagram and Twitter, at Raincoat Report. We're, we're not banned in either of those places, are we? No. Not currently? Not yet. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting app. We want to get the word of the teacher out there, so anything you can do to uh, make it more visible, including giving us those reviews... Uh, will make a big uh, impact on our future. So thank you to everybody who has been listening. Uh, thank you for your support. Help us keep 42nd Street alive, and don't forget your raincoat. One, two, three.